If you guys have a Bible, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's on page 641 in your pew Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, we thank you that you use your word to change our hearts. And we pray this morning that you will do just that. That you will change our hearts. And Father, we pray that in the moments we have together, that you might so amaze us at the power of your grace, that we walk out of here different. Lord, we pray for healing and renewal within our congregation, but first we give you praise. We give you praise for a great weekend that you gave many of us as dads to spend time with our boys. Thank you, Father, for Nathan Keltner being able to take his boys camping and for the weather being as good as it was. Thank you for the memories that you helped them make together. Lord, thank you for the um, privilege that you have given Brad Rutman in being commissioned um, in a new command at the Air National Guard and for the ceremony that took place last Sunday in his honor. Thank you, Father, for his stewardship of his gifts for the sake of our country and for his new position. We give you great thanks for that. Father, we praise you for a successful surgery for little Bennett, and we thank you, Father, for his recovery we pray that you'll continue to be with him as, um, as he recovers. And Father, we also turn our hearts toward needs in our congregation. Um, we pray for Katie Dye's grandmother and pray that you'll help her to continue to heal. Thank you that she's home safely from the hospital. And we pray, Father, that you'll let her know that you're with her and that you love her. We pray for Dustin as he travels, that you'll keep him safe. Father, we pray for Becky's daughter, Amber, as she approaches surgery on the 30th, that you'll prepare them and you'll give the doctor skill and wisdom and that you'll help her to come out of that safely and healthily. And so now, Lord, we pray also for our own need and need to be changed by the gospel. And so would you do that through your word, we pray. Thank you that you're with us and that you are here and you intend to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a relatively cool day for a Texas summer. We met at Kickapoo Airport. It was AJ and Parker and Chad and George and Chris and myself. We'd come together to meet with a woman whose name was Deborah. Deborah, you see, was the nurse of our high school football team doctor. Deborah was a part of our team. She traveled on the bus with us. She did everything with us. She was at every practice, and she became kind of a surrogate mom, except there was a problem with Deborah, where she couldn't really be our mother because every boy on our football team had a crush on her. She was very good looking. We called her the blonde bombshell. She was our secret mascot. And we, we used to fight back and forth for who got to sit next to Deborah on the bus. You know, you can imagine these 17-year-old boys with this nurse that was our team nurse. Our senior year in high school, we got a phone call one day by the coach who, who, uh, who got a phone call and had us in the locker room and said, boys, I've got sad news about somebody you love. Her name is Deborah, as you know. And um, she went to a dentist appointment not long ago, and they found that she had um, a funny thing happening in her wisdom tooth. In her wisdom tooth, there developed a malignancy, a cancer, and it was the strangest thing. And this malignancy was very fast-growing, and she went to the doctor, and the coach said, it's not good. And indeed, it wasn't good. And so we met her at the airport to say goodbye to her before we were all heading out um, to leave for college. Because just in the months 
that had transpired from getting that news until the time when we left to go to college, we wanted to say goodbye to Deborah. You see, that tumor that started in her mouth had grown so violently that it began to become a growth um, on the side of her face, and she lost her eye. And she lost her hair because she went through chemotherapy. And you can imagine, if you're a young, blonde bombshell like Deborah, her pride was her looks. She loved it. And she refused to get chemo for the longest time because she did not want to lose her hair. She did not want to lose her appearance. And so, as I talk louder to beat the rain, this is awesome, Holy Palm Sunday. Slowly but surely, she began, thank you, Timothy. Slowly but surely, she began to, with great pain and anguish, um, suffer. She had two young daughters. Her daughters were three and five. Her daughters went to see her in the hospital one day, and they were so shocked by what they saw, they could never see her again. They were so shocked by the way that her mom looked that we had to protect those kiddos from being able to see their mom. It was the saddest thing probably that I've ever seen in my life, the saddest I've ever seen somebody pass away. Here's the point of me telling you this very hard story on Palm Sunday. In the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to a group of people who have seen their brothers and sisters suffer, some of them very violently, and they died. And these dear believers in Thessalonica were deeply concerned that the people who had died, who had struggled, who had suffered so much, passed on before before the second coming of Christ. And therefore, they were afraid that they missed the second coming. They were afraid that those who passed on before the second coming came would not have the experience of joy in seeing Jesus and all of his glory and grandeur come to gather them up, come to be theirs. They felt like there was no hope for those who had died, even though they were Christians, because they had somehow missed the coming of the Lord. The question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the same question that these little girls of Deborah were asking about their mom. What hope is there for my mom who passes on before I do? What is she experiencing? Has she missed anything? That's the question that we're after today. And all of our looking at grief in the last several weeks, we come perhaps to the most poignant aspect of grief. That is the death of the saints, which are precious in the sight of the Lord, but they are intensely painful in our own lives. And you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced this yourself. So come with me, if you will, to the village of Thessalonica, which... By the time that it's written in 1 Thessalonians, it wasn't much of a village. It was a town of about 100,000 people, basically the size of Broken Arrow. It was a thriving port city. It had um, developed a niche both for trade and for philosophy. People came to Thessalonica to learn. People came to Thessalonica to grow their business. And Paul had come in a second missionary journey to Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts 17 to preach the gospel. Except when you preach the gospel about Jesus Christ who's coming to set up a new kingdom in the world, amidst the power brokers of Greek society who were trying to maintain their hegemony of power, it often does not go well. And so the Sadducees and the Jews who lived in Thessalonica heard that the Apostle Paul was in town. And do you know what they did? They went to the house where he was staying and they got the host the host's name was Jason. You can read about it in Acts 17 and Acts 18. And they drug Jason out into the street and they threatened to stone him unless you get rid of Paul and Silas and Timothy. 
And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy did the same thing you and I would do. We said, no, no, we'll go. It's okay. We'll leave. And so they left town. Except when Paul left town, he was so deeply concerned after a while for the people that he left so quickly in Thessalonica that he sent Timothy back to check on them. And when Timothy came back, he found a people who were grieving over the death of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we turn to this very famous passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we read these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll read verse 13, and we'll go down through verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What should the Christian's attitude be toward death? Paul lays it out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. John Stott said, It is still an enemy for us, death, unnatural, unpleasant, and undignified. In fact, the last enemy to be destroyed indeed. Yet it is a defeated enemy because Christ has taken away our sins. Death has lost its power and its harm over us. Jesus summed up it in the greatest of affirmations when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We saw that last week. Woody Allen one time was asked what he thought about death, the great comedian, and Woody Allen said, death? Oh, death. I'm scared to death of it, and I'm just glad I don't have to be there. Woody Allen later um, had this very blunt confession. He said, The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. It is absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments absolutely meaningless. That from an atheist, comedian in the 1970s, totally scared by death. Are you? Listen, that's one thing that we do know will happen to everybody in this room one day. We will pass away. And perhaps the hardest thing is knowing that we leave people there who have to grieve that. Listen, Paul gives us hope in this passage. And to this passage, friends, you should cling. Because one of these days when we're together and I'm holding your hand, and we're praying together. This is the sermon I want you to remember. Here it is. 
What hope does Paul give them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? He says very plainly in verse 14, he says, For since we believe, this is our creed. We just said the Nicene Creed together. We get creeds because the Bible is full of creeds just like this. For this, we believe that Christ died and rose again. The Gospel 101, Jesus' death and resurrection for us. And all of the implications for that in the way that you work and moms, the way that you love your children and fathers, the way that you raise your daughters and your sons and singles, the way that you date, everything is affected by the Gospel. But the implications of the Gospel for those of us who are going through grief at the death of a loved one are really very simple. There's three. Number one, are they suffering? No. Look at verse 15. It says, for verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they're with him. They're in his presence right now. Listen, your friends, your husband, your dear wife who has passed away, they are in the presence of Jesus now. Paul said, it's better for me to depart and be with Christ. But as it is, I'll remain with you for the day. They are with him now. Listen, um, when, when I married into Lauren's family, there are certain requirements that I had um, to, to meet. And one of those was I had to convince the maternal patriarch of our family, Lauren's grandfather, her mother's father, that I loved his granddaughter. And so the way it works in the Usri household is that they brought me the first in-law in the family. It was a new thing for them. And so they put me in the middle of a room, and I had to convince the grandfather that I really loved their daughter. And so here's how it worked. And by the way, to make it worse, I was a seminary boy who studied the Bible living in the city. And his name put terror in your heart just by the very mention of it. Butch Savage. (laughs) And he was a rancher for 40 years. He had lived on the Osage Hills and broke up the ice before the break of dawn every day. And here I am. He didn't want Bible verses, I can tell you that. So he sent me down in the living room and he said, I want you to convince me that you love my granddaughter. So Blake, when she needs your help and she says, honey, what will you say? And I said, well, yes, ma'am. She's not your mother? you got to say it like you mean it. Around here, we say, yes, dear. I said, yes, sir. So she said, Blake, when she calls you and you need my help, or you, she needs your help, what are you going to say? And I said, yes, dear. And he said, no, not my granddaughter. You better say it like you believe it. And so he got me going. What are you going to say? Yes, dear. What are you going to say? Yes, dear. So by the end of it, I was like, yes, dear. <laughs> and the funny thing about my relationship with, with Papa, as we called him, I said, I always went to him for advice, and I always went to him for assurance. And he gave that to me by the grace of God. But there was one time in his life when he came to me for assurance. I'll never forget it. He was convalescing in his home in Durant um, after a long battle with cancer. And it was the end. And I was in his bedroom reading to him the Psalms. And um, he looked over at me, and he looked at me dead in the eye, and he said to me, Blake, um, what's about to happen to me? 
Now, he didn't say it like he was despairing. He said it like, oh, I know it's going to be awesome, but I want to hear you tell me. And he looked at me with the same kind of look for assurance that I looked to him one day when I was trying to get his granddaughter's hand. And I looked at him and I said, Butch, you are about to be the presence of your Savior who loves you more than you can imagine. And one of these days in the resurrection, we're going to be whole and our bodies will be complete. And we will run through the woods and splash in the lake to degrees of power and glory you cannot even imagine. You're going to beat us there. But we'll meet you soon. That's what Paul tells his friends in Thessalonica. Listen, Jesus will bring them with you, with him. They are with him. It's not that they are suffering. They're in the presence of Jesus but not yet in their resurrected bodies. Listen, the question of what happens after death is very perplexing. Everybody goes after it. Most of us just numb ourselves to it until it comes. But every philosophy goes after it. And it's only in the gospel that you have the hope of one day being completely whole again not annihilated in the presence of Jesus, completely restored, new body, new heavens, new earth. You will be with Christ when he comes again to make all things new. First thing, they are with Christ. Second, those who precede us in death will also precede us in resurrection. They are, they are the early adopters. They are the ones that experience death first. They're going to experience the resurrection First, for those of us who are still living. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, they will experience the resurrection First. If we're alive, it's going to be unbelievable. Many, many churches, many, many churches believe that this is teaching specifically about a rapture that's going to happen, whereby they develop a kind of end times theology. Listen, I, I don't have time to discuss or debate that conversation right now, although I'd love to talk to you about it. Here's the point First Thessalonians' main theme is the second coming of Christ, not the rapture. The word raptuo means the second coming. It is the same event, we believe. Because clearly in this context, he is talking about when he comes to make everything new, they will be with him. They will be caught up together with him, those who are alive. So when you have somebody who's passing away, you point them to the second coming of Christ, who is coming to make all things new. And those of you who are still living, Look to the second coming of Christ because the rapture, the word raptuo, and the second coming, Paul argues, are the same event. Your loved ones are in the presence of Christ. Secondly, they will experience the resurrection first. That's what the text says in verse 15. The Lord descends, the dead rise first, and those alive will be caught in him, there was um, there was a man who taught at Southern Seminary named Dale Moody. Dale Moody describes the day his mother died in um, in a book, and I I'll never forget. He said his mother came down from her bedroom to have breakfast in the kitchen, and just after she finished her bowl of oatmeal, she slumped in her chair. 
And Dale remembers as a little boy, his father ran around the table, scooped up his bride, ran out to the driveway, threw her in the car, and peeled out of there like a teenager in a road race. And by the time they got to the hospital, Dale writes, she was dead on arrival. And the day of the funeral, they interred her. And um, after the funeral, they went back to the old homestead and they sat on the porch. And Dale, who uh, was by that time a young professor at seminary and his father, these two great theologians sat on the back of their porch and they tried to think, what exactly is she experiencing right now? And so these great theologians talked for hours. What is she experiencing? Yeah, that sounds right. Let's take First Thessalonians 4 and let's hash it out. Where is she now? What is she experiencing? And then all of a sudden, the, Dale's father, the old man, stood up and he said, take me back. Take me back. And they said, take you, take you back where? Take me back to the seminary. Well, it's, it's late. No, take me back. And so they didn't argue with this man. They took him back to the seminary, at cemetery. And at the cemetery, with a flashlight over her grave, he said, it was a good life. And it ended just the way I wanted it to end. What did he mean by that? He said, she died first. That's what I'd hoped. So that she wouldn't experience the pain of having to bury me. Listen, it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ can you have a love between a husband and a wife that is so thick that you can possibly say something like that. Because you do not say that in despair. You long to be the one to bury your bride, your husband. Why? Because you preserve them from the pain of experiencing what you're experiencing. Listen, those of you who have done this in recent past Jesus is with you, and he is preparing you one day to celebrate together with him again. And so then he said, it's okay, you can take me home. It's been a good day. It's been a very good day. And unless you're a Christian, you cannot say on a day where somebody dies, it has been a good day. But indeed, that is what the gospel gives us. It has been a good day because there is a day called Good Friday, where a death also happened, except it was far worse, far worse than you might be able to imagine. But those of you who have buried loved ones, you probably can get close. And Jesus says, for those of you who are still living, who have buried loved ones, I want you to know that I love you and that I'm with you. They are not suffering. They are in my presence. And I will bring them back with me. We make all things new together. The third thing really blows my mind. In verse 18, do you know what Paul says? I mean, can you get any heavier on a Sunday morning? Paul says in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What? Encourage one another with these words. There will be a day, one day, someday, when it may be like it was back in Rome under Nero or Diocletian, where we are under persecution, where we don't have the option of trying to one day build a building because we have to go in hiding. I'm glad we have trailers. And one of these days, it could get a lot worse. But we are to be a people who are known by our hope because we grieve 
but not as those without hope. And I, my prayer for us as a family is that we can so believe the gospel together that we take moments where we do think about death very, very specifically because it is in those times when your elders are going to hold your hand and we're going to pray over you. We're not going to tell you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, although we are going to remind you of its truth because your loved ones are not suffering. Your loved ones will precede us in the resurrection if we are still here when the second coming comes. And the last thing is encourage each other with these words because you will always be with Christ. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Do you remember what it was like when you were little and you were scared to death when your mom or dad left the house or left your room? Your Savior is always with you. And he comforts you in the shadows of death because he loves you. So as Palm Sunday comes and we cry out, Hosanna, believe that salvation is here. Because it came in the form of one, fully God and fully man, who died for you to prepare you to die well and to help those who are close to you die well. Because you grieve, but not as somebody without hope. You have every hope in the world because your Savior has first preceded you in death, he has preceded you in resurrection, and he is bringing all the saints together with him into glory. And one day, someday, we will look back at Sunday service at Trinity Presbyterian Church and we'll say, oh man, it was, a sh- it was a shadow. It was a shadow, as great as it was, of the way things are now. And we will sing and it will be awesome. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is here. Blessed is he who is with us. And blessed is he who is opening our hearts right now, even just a smidgen, to help you believe more fervently in the gospel. If you believe in anything else for the safety of your soul, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. You will be somebody who does not have hope. If you numb yourself, you will be somebody who does not have hope. You cannot numb yourself. You must run to your Savior who loves you. He is the only thing to bring you through. And he brings you through because he loves you so much that he died for you. And he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to reform the way you understand death. And he wants to do it through his word. And he wants to do it together in community. So let's prepare well, shall we? Just like the the uh, Thessalonians. Jesus reminds us to encourage each other with the words that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, because just like we saw last week, he is the resurrection and the life. And we're about to partake of that resurrection and that life together in the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will come quickly and soon. That you will remind us that in the midst of death, in the midst of our grief, In the midst of the emotion that we experience amidst bereavement, oh Lord, we have hope. And that hope is that we will overcome because we believe in an overcomer who conquered death for us. Father, would you help us to lay our deadly doings down, down at your feet, and to trust in you and you alone, gloriously complete, for you are our only hope.
hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.